0: A well, surprise open to Daniel 4. I know you didn't see it coming, but that is where we're going to be. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice chunk of text, so I'm going to try something a little different, um, which is taking it one bite at a time. So I'm, I'm not actually going to read the whole thing at once here at the front, um, so buckle in for something a little different. Uh, but first, uh, in fact, I was, I was talking with Tim earlier today, and there was one illustration from the various Z let me borrow his commentaries um, that I quite liked. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll launch into to the first verses of chapter 4. Um, this is from Dale Ralph Davis and his, his commentary on the book of Daniel. Uh, so he says, he's giving an account of a particular king, Louis XIV, his funeral. Uh, And he says, Walter Kaiser tells us of the funeral of Louis XIV. He had requested the king that at the service in the Cathedral of Notre Dame, that all would be darkened except the one candle on his casket at the front. But when the court preacher got up to give the funeral funeral oration, he walked over to the casket, snuffed out the light, and began his message with the words, only God is great, only God is great. And then Dale says this, he says, and that's what we need to go around muttering to ourselves. Only mm-hmm. God is great. Um, I thought that was slightly humorous, but also pretty potent and to the, absolutely to the point of what Daniel 4 is going to bring us to. And, and interestingly, it's going to bring us to the conclusion right at the front. So verse 1, chapter 4 starts this way. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages, that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So that's that's kind of the conclusion of this whole thing as well. Um, and we, we start the text with that powerful declaration from who has, as far as we have known thus far, is nothing but a pagan, pagan king. Now, he's had some encounters uh, with Yahweh through Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and, and abed Uh we, We've seen those, but yet up to this point, all we know is this is a pagan king who, who, who seems to quite enjoy lifting himself up. He builds statues. He, he forces his subjects to bow down and worship. Um, and then now suddenly we're we're struck by this written in the first person by this King Nebuchadnezzar declaring how great the wonders of God are and that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and that his dominion endures uh, from generation to generation what then is going to follow we're actually going to take a little bit of a step back we're going to see what led up to this pretty significant shift in the language of Nebuchadnezzar Um, and so I've broken it down uh, into to, to four chunks, and I used some alliteration to, to help clarify them in my own mind. So the first chunk is what I'm calling the context and the content of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream here. The second chunk, uh, for the alliterative purposes, I called the clarity, the interpretation, the clarity and the call to repent. The third is the calamity, and then finally the conclusion. So that's not so uh, uh, creative, but but it was C, so conclusion, that'll do. Um, So for the context and the content, we'll dive uh, into verse four. Again, speaking in the first person, Nebuchadnezzar says, "'I,' Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace.'" Um, So before going further, there's some pretty important context. This is well into Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Uh, The stories we had just read were, history would tell us were rather early, in his rule, uh, and now a great period of time has gone by. History also knows Nebuchadnezzar as the one who constructed the the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, so, I don't any history buffs or archaeology fans. Uh, there's a treasure trove of of just even extra biblical documentation and discoveries that speak into the magnificence of this kingdom of babylon and how lavish and luxurious it was and how powerful nebuchadnezzar truly would have become Um, and so that's the context that we find ourselves in and we see he's he's very clear about where he was at in his own heart in his own mind he's at ease he is he is living in the prosperity of this golden aged kingdom um, that has that has come to pass In verse 5 he says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. I thought that was weird uh, because that's exactly what had happened the last time, right? We've ha- we've seen Nebuchadnezzar experience these strange dreams. He doesn't know what they mean, and then he goes to the magicians and the sorcerers and these people. They fail to be. Able- so that was odd to me that he's just doing the same thing. Like, d- did you not learn that they don't have the answer? And I think that's very much that's that's a part of what we're supposed to pull here. We're we're getting further brought into no. Nebuchadnezzar has not learned his lesson. Despite the fact that he has seen the providence of God and the power of God, he's just falling right back into the same pattern. He finds himself in the same situation and he falls right back into the same pattern. He's going to go to his his sources, the things that that he is accustomed to. Um, And I think there's there's some uh, interesting and obvious parallels uh, that we can can pull there. And then verse 8, it says, At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men." So verse 17, interestingly enough, really lays out the message, which is, which is interesting, right? Because we haven't even gotten the interpretation. Um, Daniel hasn't, hasn't spoken. This has just been Nebuchadnezzar telling the dream to Daniel. And yet in verse 17, we read, right? to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And as we've kind of already started at the front end and as we'll continue to see at the conclusion, that is in no small way the thrust of what is being communicated. Um, So again, I think we're seeing something as to the heart of Nebuchadnezzar here, um, and that's a persistent selfishness, right? Um, He's already said multiple times this I mean, he's tossing and turning in his bed he's afraid he's frightened by these dreams uh, and, and rightly so it, it's it's frightening imagery and verse 17 makes it pretty clear that there is a message um, that does not fit with Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom and where he is at and yet he's still he, he he wants more, but, but at this point, he, he's not seeking God, right, out of some humble, lowly heart. He wants to know, okay, I can tell this isn't good, but I don't know exactly how this is going to shake out. So, so it seems like right, the, the desire here is just for more intel, for more information, uh, right? He's already gone about. He's setting out decrees. He's trying to manage this situation as best he can. Um, but at this point, he's driven to, all right, I, I got to know get Daniel in here and, and see what we can figure out. Um, at which point, verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And so again, we see this. He wants to know. He really wants to know. Um, he's afraid. Um, and so he turns to, to Daniel. Maybe the one place that will turn um, outside of Daniel, is actually just not going to be too far back. If you guys want to go to Ezekiel uh, chapter 31, we'll read some from 31 and then from 32. It's, um, I think it's relevant language that helps put us a little bit more into the mind of people living at this time, right? We're, here we are, 21st century Americans, we live in a certain cultural uh, context and moment. Images mean certain things to us. Um, and so let's let this kind of further formulate our own um, mental state as we heard some of that, uh, that vision. So Ezekiel 31, I'll, I'll start with verses 2 through 6. Ezekiel 31, 2. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering height, its top among the clouds. The waters nourished it. The deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field, and its boughs grew large and its branches long from abundant water in its shoots All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs under its branches. All the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great nations. I mean, how similar is that to the the depiction that we just had of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Of this great tree with long branches towering to the heights and and giving shade to creatures. Uh, It's it's remarkably similar language. Don't be confused this is about egypt and it's comparing egypt to assyria so this i'm not trying to draw a connection that this is about babylon it's not but the language is very very similar and so then in light of that similar language let's go to 32 chapter 32 verses 5 and 6. so this is still we're 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 still talking to egypt this is pharaoh in egypt that's being uh, referred to and the prophet says um, well god says through the prophet I will strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will drench the land even to the mountains with your flowing blood, and the ravines will be full of you. So, so like that's, that's the kind of imagery and, and not just imagery, but reality that would come along with a dream like this. Uh, so the tossing and the turning and the fear starts to make sense. And in fact, if we continue on here in verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only one who was frightened by this, right? In verse 19, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And then Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. So so Daniel is also being distraught by this because he knows as well as anyone in fact with greater clarity as we'll find out um, the the terrible reality of what has just been told a a great calamity is going to befall and there is going to be a a mighty humbling um, and it's going to come at a price no doubt no doubt at all and so again, it's it's it was interesting. I think at a first reading, Daniel, why is Daniel dismayed? Like he knows why is he? But that's the power of and the terror of of, of this vision uh, that that even Daniel would respond in this way. And so then Daniel proceeds, however, right, and and he tells the interpretation of the dream, verse twenty. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation of King. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." So Daniel lays it all out, right? He 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 does not hold anything back. He he presents the true interpretation of the dream in in, in its entirety to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and then he he does add a little uh, unrequested bit at the end, right? Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't didn't necessarily ask for counsel, but Daniel gave it anyways, right? He said, "Let my counsel be acceptable to you," and he calls him to repent. Um, so that. That's firmly outside just raw interpretation. He's now gone a step further and he has said, you need to repent of your sins. Uh, again, Daniel knows the true and living God. Daniel knows Yahweh. And, and he knows that, well, he knows both things, right? He knows that Yahweh is a God of wrath who will punish sin. He also knows that he's a compassionate God, um, and, and so he, he makes a plea. It's a plea directed to Nebuchadnezzar, but in it we can, I think, hear Daniel appealing to the mercy of God when, when he says, repent of your sin, practice righteousness, perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. I mean, he knows things have been declared that, that, that can't be undone, but, but then, again, the Lord has spoken to his own people and to other nations. Hey, If you repent, I will relent from the calamity. Um, and so you, I, you, we're uh, in a position, right? We know the whole story and many of us are familiar with this. So we, we have in our head, we know what's coming, even though I haven't read it yet, but, but we still know, right? Um, and, and Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have been given insight, revelation from God. So there is a sense in which if they had perfect and complete total trust in God, well, then certainly they, they know where this is headed. But you got to imagine, right, in the moment in time as it is unfolding, the, the propensity for, for both fear, but, but also, again, repent, and, and, and perhaps there will be a lengthening, lengthening of this prosperity. Um, spoiler alert, verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so before it even explains, it, just, it happens, right? So he does not repent or whatever. If there was any type of something the scripture doesn't tell us, um, and it was manifestly not lasting, right? Because then, as verse 29 says, at the end of 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, very reminiscent of where this whole thing started. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. It's pretty <laughs> remarkable, um, pretty remarkable language. It's the kind of language that, again, I think as as moderns we, we could almost balk at and and find unbelievable, um, but it's perfectly uh, perfectly real. Uh, And and, and more than anything, uh, that language right at the very end, right, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. uh, That's certainly suggestive of the length of time that this was, right? It it mentions seven periods of time. Scholars, commentators are are divided on, is that seven years? Many say seven years, seven months. Again, the scripture doesn't say that. It says seven periods of time, um, which, if we study the Bible, we do know, right? Seven is uh, often used as a number that, that denotes completeness of fulfillment. Um, and so I think we can just put ourselves within that guardrail and say, okay, so God had appointed a specific amount of time that this was going to take. But, it, but, but time wasn't, that's not the driving factor. Because it says multiple times, it's until you learn that God is the king over the kingdom of men, right? So there, that was the driver here. And so then in that way, I think suddenly the, the language at the end of verse 33, right? It's not so much just this suggestion of a length of time, but it's like, look how low Nebuchadnezzar had to go before that sunk in. Right before he was humbled, it, it wasn't enough to have the kingdom stripped, it wasn't enough to be sent out. I mean, it's to the point that his hair grows as long as eagle's feathers and his nails are like bird's claws. I mean, that's it's disgusting, it's 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 vile, it's it's strange, and it, it's it's but yet I think we, we see something there just the, the hard heartedness of man, uh, how how numb we can be. Um, so, very, very powerful, powerful imagery there, um, leading into verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. In that, I, we see a, just a wonderful interweaving right of God's absolute sovereignty right at the end of the days at the end of the days that have been appointed by God from beforehand right sovereignty total and complete interwoven then now for the first time we're seeing fruit of, of some real repentance right he lifts his eyes to heaven he, he, he takes the focus off of himself and his kingdom and he looks to heaven Nebuchadnezzar does and and God graciously gives his reason to him and then Nebuchadnezzar blesses the Most High God and praises and honors Him who lives forever. So it's just this constant, perfect, harmonious God has been working and orchestrating this from before it even started, and now we see He is, he is bringing it to pass, right? And it's often said, you know, God is a God of ends, but He's also the God of the means to those ends and, and we see that happening in real time in the life of a real person here where at the, at the end of the days that God had set Nebuchadnezzar lifts his eyes right, and his reason returns and he blesses God and I, I do think it's, it's, it's important that we see here his, his heart was humbled before he even then lifted his eyes um, and that is certainly what the text has been has been providing to us that the, that, that first shift is, is actually it's God humbling his heart, which then leads him to lift his eyes and to praise God. Um, but so long as his heart remained hardened and set against God, there was never going to be a lifting the eyes to heaven. Um, I think it's important that we see that. The second half, uh, verse 34, right? We, we, get, we get the description of this praise and this worship, really right He says. For His dominion, that's the true God, Yahweh, is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth that are counted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Every, every human has to respond to that, right? And if we go back, we recall... The message that was revealed even in the dream itself, not, not just in the interpretation, this is, this is for the living, not just Nebuchadnezzar. Right? This sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. So this is not just a message for Nebuchadnezzar, and and Nebuchadnezzar ends this with a message not just for himself, uh, not just for Daniel, right? But this is a message for all people. And so then the question, right, becomes: Will we will we humble our ourselves before God? Or are we going to dig our heels into our own pridefulness as we trying to become like kings, queens of our own kingdoms? Um, that's the the place that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar brings us. Um, and then, of course, we know as, as Christians there's only, there's only one way, right? There's only one place that we actually can look, right? Nebuchadnezzar lifts his eyes to heaven. We have to look, we have to believe, have faith in the one who humbled himself even to death on the cross. And go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. Um, will be just read verses five through eleven. I, I think this passage uh, hits a little bit different in the context of, of a Daniel four, um, and it's, it's it's wonderful. So Philippians two five through eleven, have this mind among yourselves. and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Right, so there, there is, there's only one way to actually be humble before God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, um, and to, to fall at His feet, to, de- to declare Him Lord, to declare Him Almighty God, uh, and to see Him as the only one who, who can rescue our soul and the only one who can, who can bring us into a right relationship with God. And, and for those of us right uh, here who are Christians, I, the, those final words from Nebuchadnezzar ought to stir up, I think, in us something of an evangelistic zeal. To, to realize that God, at the end, every knee will bow. And, and so, when we consider that we have experienced life. Uh, we have looked to the one who humbled himself and, and we know the peace that we have with God through that to think that many, many of, many of our friends, many of our family are, are still stuck in their pridefulness. Um, and, and one day their knee will bow, but we have, right, as Paul talks about, and in, in, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation and, and so, not unlike Daniel, who was willing to bring a, a, a not great <laughs> message to, to this, at the time, very pagan king who's demonstrated something of an angry spirit at times. You know, he'll, he'll just toss you into a fiery furnace if he, if he so pleases. He still, brought, he still brought the truth. He still brought the message. Um, and it was a message of repentance. Um, and, and, and as is ours, right? Repent and, repent and believe. In Christ so um, hopefully we, we are stirred to to consider the wonderful life that we have in Christ and then and then be moved in our hearts uh, for those who are not and to go and to be willing to have hard conversations challenging conversations um, but but life-giving conversations and so then in that way right suddenly this story of Nebuchadnezzar is also a very hope-filled one because my gosh <laughs> a despot pagan king can go through that anyone anyone can right so there's there's as long as breath remains as long as they're among the living there is there is opportunity to respond and so with that we go out with great anticipation again knowing that god is going to accomplish his purpose and and christ will have all of his people whom the father has given to him and so we go out as uh, faithful servants declaring that message um With that, we'll end in a word of prayer and then break out into our discussion groups. Father, thank You for sending Jesus. That He would humble Himself to death on a cross to, to pay the penalty for our sins, to rescue us from the dominion of sin, And to make a way for us to be at peace with you and to spend eternity in your presence as your people. Thank you for your word where we hear this great news and we pray for a heart of of true love and compassion for the lost uh, to take this wonderful message to them, that that they may join us and and become one of your family, uh, our brother or our sister um, and that we would be able to enjoy sweet fellowship with them even here and now, uh, but then so much more to be able to worship you um, and that they could join in that as well. And So we pray that you would be with us even this evening uh, in our discussion time and then Tomorrow and, and every day, I pray that you would work a, a spirit of humility in us, uh, grow us. Because even as your children, we are very prone to pride. Um, and and, and we, we go out our door many days. I go out my door many days with little consideration for you uh, and for what Christ has done. And, and um, it's not good. My mind's in a bad place and my behavior is not representative of Christ, and in that way, I'm, i, I am be a poor witness. So just pray that you make us humble, God. Um, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.